Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Laurel K. Hamilton said, There are wounds that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. This is episode 36 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Jennifer Whitaker. She grew up with abusive parents, both in their own ways, but in her words, she was born into struggle. What she didn't realize is the trauma this would leave her with until much later in life. It would make her tell herself stories like it was her fault, that she needed to be perfect, and she really had no clue what to do about it. She couldn't even find support because if her parents found out that she said anything to anyone, it meant there was a price to pay later on. This would lead to low self-esteem and many other issues that lasted well into adulthood. Even when she finally decided to attend therapy, it took time before she was able to fully open up and face the trauma of her past. In a relationship years later, she would realize that an argument was triggered by a past event. Essentially, she was crippled when it came to make choices because of being berated by her father for a choice she made at five years old. This is just one of many issues that she had to work through over the years to get to the point where she is now. If you ask her, the thing that made her a survivor was resilience, which is odd because most people who experience what she did have very little to no resilience at all. Now she works with others to help them uncover their traumas and work through them to become a better version of themselves. Most people who faced what she did would just be crippled in a corner, but she's working to make sure that doesn't happen. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Jennifer Whitaker. Hey, Jennifer, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Um, You're a a referral by our mutual friend, Godwin Chan, and I appreciate him uh, making the referral. It's always nice to sort of have people on that um, you know, were referred by a friend rather than me having to constantly hunt. So <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time today to come on and share your story. Yeah, you're welcome. And I, I totally get that. Um, it is nice to have referrals <laughs> and <laughs> it is, it's fantastic. And it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Not a problem. So the first question I start with and I ask every guest is what is your definition of vulnerability? Um, my definition of vulnerability is Um, being able to know what you're experiencing inside of you and being able to communicate that in a healthy way um, in any given moment uh, in order to align yourself best with your surroundings. Interesting. And I, you know, I, I, I constantly say this and I probably need to stop at some point, but it still amazes me to this day. I'm, I think you're probably going to be episode like 45, somewhere around <laughs> there. And literally I haven't had a single definition that's the same. There's do- definitely similarities, yeah. but everybody has a different definition and it, it just yeah. used to amaze me. It continues to blow my mind that I haven't had two people <laughs> say like the same thing or really close to the same thing. Like it's always right. different. So, um, but I, I definitely like yours. It reminds me of a past guest that I had on who was a psychologist and she didn't like the word vulnerability because of the whole 
um, the way that it's looked at now with, with everything that's been, you know, going on through, you know, social media, um, the Brene Brown stuff, uh, you know, that sort of a lot of people look at it as a weakness where she looks at it as a strength and looking within yourself and yours is sort of similar to that. So I, that yeah. that's one correlation I can make. <laughs> it is absolutely a strength. Absolutely. Um, because people who avoid their own vulnerability go into their, um, I call them trauma patterns of behavior. And uh, whenever we go into our avoidance patterns of behavior, that's when we become toxic and dysfunctional to everyone around us. Um, and a lot of people out there will take the passive aggressive route. Um, or, uh, and I think we've all had this experience lately where somebody puts it on me that they're triggered. Um, and true vulnerability is not blaming somebody else when you're triggered or when you're upset um, or offended. It's knowing how to manage your own responses when you are triggered or upset or offended or angry at a situation without letting that emotion <clears throat> step in and control your behavior or your words in the moment. No, it, it's it, it just trig triggered funny enough. I'm going to use that word, but it sort of just thought made me think about my past. And when I wasn't willing to face it, how a lot of the things you're talking about, I did where I would just sort of like put my my pain and everything on other people, mainly my wife, you know, like when I was in past careers and stuff like that, I'd be miserable at the end of the day. And I think a lot of it was just me not wanting to face myself. And so I would just push off that anger onto her. So it's just really interesting. I just, I've never yeah. thought about vulnerability in that way. And considering mm -hmm. I have a, a podcast called vulnerable, um, <laughs> it's just an interesting insight. So, so thank you for sharing that. Um, You're welcome. So, so if you can think back and, and however far back you want to go, what would you say is your earliest memory of, of facing a situation of, of vulnerability or struggle in your own life? Oh my goodness. I was born into struggle in my own life. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess to, to preface this for, for you and your listeners, um, I'm a trauma specialist and um, normal people don't get into working with trauma. It's usually because we're trying to resolve some of our own issues. And about 30 years ago, they came out with a study called an ACE study, which stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And that test has 10 questions on it. Um, each time you say yes to a question, you give yourself a point. And a score of three is considered extremely high. So if you have a three out of a 10 on your ACE score, then you are, I think it's like 340% more likely to develop a chronic debilitating disorder or a mental health disease um, in adulthood, um, just from adverse childhood experiences. So I was born into vulnerability. Um, in, into being a vulnerable child. Um, both of my parents were abusive in very different ways. And I came out of childhood with a nine out of 10 on my ACE. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, it, I have um, probably a different insight than your average person into trauma. And I work very specifically with intergenerational and developmental trauma. So I don't specialize in you know, other forms of trauma, you know, like, um, you know, like sexual assault, things like that. Um, th that's kind of secondary to what I do or addiction. That's secondary to what I do. I focus on those really sneaky, subtle behaviors that we carry throughout our life. So, um, and there, there is a lot of vulnerability in facing that because a lot of times we tell ourselves a story and we tell ourselves one thing and 
we're really lying to ourselves about our motivations and why we do the things we do. And whenever we get really honest about why we do the things we do and start to face ourselves, then we can start to change our patterns of behavior and be more honest. And it opens the doorway to being vulnerable and asking for what we want in a healthy way. No, I can I can only imagine what sort of stories you might have told yourself considering it was your parents. Like that's a very direct relationship. It's not a friend. It's not a another right. family member. This is your parents. So I can only imagine yeah. the stories that you might tell yourself over the years because you, you don't want to think the worst of your parents, obviously. I mean, that's your mom and dad, right? So um, right. I can only I can only imagine. So mm-hmm. I and mean, it's more than just not wanting to think the worst of our parents. It's a survival mechanism. Um, you know, in, in early, early childhood, we are hardwired to attach to our guardians, our parents, because that means survival for us. Um, and it's not a conscious choice that we make. It's, it's part of our natural instinct. So we will create stories in our head that I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Um, I have to be a perfectionist. I have to exceed. I, um, I have to be a rebel. I can't do what anybody tells me to do. So we come up with all of these coping mechanisms and these little beliefs that we come that we conclude in childhood as a result to insecure relationships with our parents um, often are very basic belief systems that sometimes do come out in therapeutic um, sessions, you know, like where it's, we just have this chronic belief that nobody will ever care about us or what's the use? What's the purpose? Why am I here? These very basic beliefs. Yeah. And one of my past guests that I had on a couple of weeks ago, um, he sort of talked about this, this why me attitude. And, and that's mm-hmm. what tends to happen to a lot of people. I mean, he had some traumatic experiences happen in his sort of late teen, early 20 years. And he said that when he went to speak with the therapist, it was the, the biggest thing that opened up for him was that he walked in with a why me attitude. And that therapist said to, that, said to him, oh, well, why not think of it as why not me? Mm-hmm. You know, and then that sort of started to shift things for him. So I'm sort of getting that that from what you're saying as well. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's a lot more, but, but mm-hmm. it's just something to sort of bring up. Um, so, I mean, would you say that, and I, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, overcoming what happened wasn't something that happened, you know, uh, overnight or even in, in your younger years, but would you say that it was those stories that you sort of told yourself that helped you overcome it or, or get through it? Or was there something else? Was there, you know, like maybe a family member? Or was there something that helped you sort of get through that when you were at such a young age, obviously? Um, I didn't have a lot of support at that young age. Um, I, I came out of childhood with a lot of dysfunctional patterns of behavior. And um, I I have been... Um, I'm one of those outliers, I guess, you know, um, cause a lot of kids, this is what therapists will do. They'll help you find that resource. Like you're talking about, like, who was that safe person or what was it that saved you? How did you survive your childhood? Uh, I can't come up with anybody that was a resource. Um, I lived in a small town in a really rural area. And if I would go outside the home and start to share with anybody, including my grandparents, um, what was happening inside the house, By the time word got back to my parents, which it always seemed to do, small town, everybody knows everybody. So it just, it's it's almost like a license to stick your nose in somebody else's business. Um, I grew up amongst the nib shitters, (laughs) (laughs) just saying. (laughs) And um, yeah, and they really were up, up in my business all the time. So there was hell to pay whenever my parents would find out that I, you know, shared what was going on. So I learned very, very quickly, it was not safe to talk to people. And it's been, um, it, it was a challenge the f- 
early in adulthood to find a therapist that I could work with because one of my patterns was um, I felt like if I said the right thing to my therapist that I could pass therapy as if you could graduate therapy. <laughs> and, and at the same time, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like if I say the right thing, then my therapist will, you know, like write in the notes something that's a good mark. And so I would lie to my therapist. And after I started, like, again, sharing this story, because there is a little bit of vulnerability in sharing that I lied with my therapist over the years, I discovered other people have done this too. I don't know that it's the bulk of people who go into therapy, but we do that. And so when I stopped lying to myself, I, I basically had to get tired of my own BS. And when I stopped lying to myself and started seeing the reality of some of the situations, um, that's when my behaviors and how I approached life really, really started to change. Um, hmm. And I started to build resiliency to where uh, it, it's not that I don't get triggered. It's not that I don't get upset. It's now that I'm able to put space between the trigger and the response in order to come up with, okay, how do I want to choose to respond to this situation rather than going into that autonomic reactive behavior that I used to do? Hmm. So usually, sir, you led into sort of the next thing I get into, which is, you know, if there was any strengths that you discovered from this and, but it mm -hmm. sounds like to me that you already sort of brought that up in terms of resilience being one of them. And then just yeah. also the fact that you learned how to sort of check in with yourself before reacting right away. A lot of us tend to just react really quickly and, and, mm -hmm. you know, like we talked about that we're being triggered um, at the beginning there. So I, I'm assuming, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to add, but it seems to me that sort of the strength that came out of this, this situation was the fact that it, it made you a more resilient person. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've often wondered what makes me so resilient um, because statistically speaking, I should have days when I can't get out of bed. I should have a debilitating chronic disease. I should have a mental health disorder that you know, makes me non-functional in society. And those things haven't happened to me. So I'm not quite sure why I'm able to help people the way that I do now. And what makes me so resilient, that fascinates me. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't say that I'm not fascinated as well. I mean, if you're telling me that, I, I'm going to choose to believe you. If you're telling me that, you know, that most people that go through, through something like this don't end up where you're at, I mean, I would say kudos to you for, for getting there and, and, you know, uh, hopefully one day maybe you figure it out because then you can share that with the world because I, I, I am quite interested now trying to figure out even myself thinking like, well, if that's the case, like what did you do differently? And is there anything you can think of or literally you, you haven't been able to figure it out? Um, what I've concluded thus far is that I've never really truly lost touch with that um, quiet background voice that exists in the back of your head. It's like, it's way back here somewhere and it's super quiet and it doesn't have a lot of emotion attached to the things that it says. And yet it seems to be so wise in the things that it says. Um, I've never truly lost touch with that, with that little voice. Mm -hmm. And I've always had um, some level of self-awareness um, and I can help people. I can help teach people self-awareness if they have, the beginnings of self-awareness. If somebody has zero self-awareness, I'm not sure where to begin. Um, so I would refer that person out to work with somebody else before they come work with me. 
Um, and so, and when I say self-awareness, I can give you a couple examples. Um, just little things like I was, I think I was in my early twenties when I stopped eating ice cream um, because it didn't take long to realize that, wow, every time I eat ice cream, I just feel crappy for a couple of days afterwards. Um, you know, little things like that. So I would experiment. And so I stopped eating ice cream and that went away and I would, you know, pick it up and eat ice cream again. And that feeling came back again. And a lot of people were like, wow, how did you figure that out? And I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I just noticed what I was feeling in my body. I don't know. <laughs> and how did you figure out it was ice cream? Is that the only thing you ate? And I'm like, no, it's not. It just, you know, so it, it's one of those things. I've just always had some level of awareness um, about myself and the the connection um, that my body has with, you know, like my mind, my emotions, all of that. And I know that that's one tiny minuscule example. Um, I'm sure you don't want me to bore you with a dozen more, but I could. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, if you if you want if you want to give us a couple more, I'm I'm totally fine with that. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I, one thing that I sort of uh, you know people can't see me, and I don't really release any of the video from this, but sometimes I wonder if I should because as soon as you said the word self awareness, I had this smirk on my face, and it's because honest to God, I think almost every episode that I've done so far, the the subject of self awareness has been brought up. And it's mm -hmm. just something that continuously gets said. And it's something that, you know, I'm, I, as I do this podcast and as I get further into it, um, you know, like I said, almost 50 episodes in now, uh, I, I, I'm starting to think about these different themes that I may touch on later on and, and do, you know, maybe a week long theme on something. And it's just amazing to me how self-awareness continuously comes up over and over and over again. So, I mean, it, for sure, if you want to share some more stories, uh, definitely go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and self-awareness is incredibly important. Um, the journey of self-awareness is the most important journey a person will ever embark on in their life, um, it, in my humble opinion. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, so another example, um, and th this one gets a little bit more um, subtle in the effects of it. Um, I And I even wrote about this in a, a chapter that I submitted for a book um, couple years ago. Um, it, it was, oh my gosh, several years ago, I, when I was in a relationship with somebody, um, you know, we, we had, we were attempting, obviously it didn't work because I'm not in a relationship anymore, but we were attempting to blend our families. Um, he had children, I have a son, and we had a really, really busy weekend. We were just all over the place, and he came to me, and he's like, hey, will you go order pizza? The kids are getting hungry. And I trailed behind him going, well, what does everybody want? Am I getting thick crust? Am I getting thin crust? Like going through all the list of ingredients. And he turned around and I can't remember his exact words, but he was really angry. And it was, it came across as something like, oh my God, will you just go F and order food? And um, so this led to an argument because my perception at the time was I'm being considerate. Um, you know, I'd like to ask people what they want. And, you know, and, and so that was the story I was telling myself, you know, and, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown, Brene Brown talks about the story we tell ourselves. Mm. And I was so committed to that story that I was just being considerate. And I wanted to, you know, ask the kids what they wanted instead of forcing something upon them. And it was a couple years later, whenever I had this, oh my gosh moment. And I looked back on that scenario and I'm like, Okay, he didn't have to talk to me the way he did. That was incredibly dysfunctional. And at the same time, the reality of the situation was I refused to choose what somebody else would eat, including little kids. 
Now, if I wanted to be the adult in that situation, I would have been able to stand back and say, yeah, we're on a time crunch. We're having a super crazy weekend. It's one meal. I'm going to go order a cheese pizza and a pepperoni pizza and everybody will find something that they like just to get through this one meal. And then we'll get back on track with our healthier eating and, you know, choices and things like that later. I wasn't able to do that. And I wasn't able to see it in the moment. It was, you know, like I said, a couple years later. And when, what caused me to finally figure it out was I was in a therapy session and I had a memory of when I was a little girl and I was about five years old and we, you know, again, lived in the country. So it was about a 45 minute to an hour drive. We went to town one weekend and my dad said, where do you want to eat? Well, my little five-year-old voice spoke up and said, Long John Silver's. <laughs> so we went to Long John Silver's. Please don't judge. I was five. And, <laughs> and shockingly, the food was not good. <laughs> the food sat under the lamps. And you know that was back in the day when they called them chicken planks. I haven't been there in ages, so I don't yeah. know if they still call them that or not. <laughs> but you know, it was like the the, the chicken was like cold and, you know, yucky and chewy because it sat there for so long. Well, my dad, um, in his unhealthy pattern of behavior, he got angry, wouldn't eat his food and forced my sister, myself and my mom to eat everything on our plates. And for the whole remainder of the weekend, I had to listen to him ranting about how stupid I was um, he even a couple times called me a little bitch at the age of five, um, because I'm the one who chose where we ate and his food wasn't good. So that came back on me and that became my fault in our family. And that was a pattern that I witnessed over and over again. So at the ripe old age of five, this was not a conscious choice. And yet I had a very clear understanding that you don't ever choose where anybody else wants to eat. So my dysfunctional pattern of behavior was to turn that around into the story that I'm just being kind and considerate. What do you want to eat? You know, if you 10 years ago, Brian, if you would have asked me to go to lunch, I would have turned it around and said, yeah, that sounds great. I don't really know your side of town. Like what restaurants are over there? And I would like ask questions to get people to choose the restaurant where it looked like I was choosing. <laughs> and sometimes that's true. Sometimes yeah. that is absolutely true. Like, I don't know your city, like, tell me what's good. You know, I don't really want to eat at a chain restaurant. You know more about it than me. Sometimes that's flat up honest. And sometimes that's a dysfunctional pattern of behavior. So you only know that within yourself, what your MO is. And my MO was that sometimes my kindness and consideration were coming from a place of dysfunction more so than authentic kindness and consideration. Um, so that's how uh, victims of abuse um, become manipulative because I was using the kindness and consideration to kind of try to manipulate the situation and avoid looking at myself and realizing that, you know what, I just don't have the strength to order two pizzas for little kids at this point in my life. Yeah. Because I couldn't see my own patterns of trauma. Huh. So, so again, that's just another example. And that's the subtle type of, of patterns of behavior that I work with with my clients. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it, it, I, I'm just standing here like sort of baffled because 
one thing I know about myself is, is in terms of like, I do sort of the similar thing with people. And I can't say that I had any tra- traumatic experiences that I can think of from my past. Um, obviously, you know, maybe I would need to go deeper, but I really can't. I mean, I, I grew up pretty normally, normal sort of household. Um, but I, I just, it's, it seems strange to me that I noticed myself do a lot of the same things. And even my wife as of recently was, um, not recently, but in the last couple of years was telling me that she, um, she was having decision fatigue. Uh, and I think she got this from a book that she was reading because I was always like, well, what do you want to eat? And then like trying to do the same sort of thing where like, you know, I'd come up with two or three places hoping that she'll make a decision from the two or three places because I didn't want to make this decision. Now, I don't know if this is just indecisiveness or if there's something more to it, but now you've got me thinking because like I said, I I can notice myself doing the same sort of thing. And again, there might be other reasons. And like you said, maybe it's just simple indecisiveness, but it just, it was interesting to me when you, when you were telling that and I'm sitting here thinking like, I've done that a bunch of times. I wonder why. Um, But, and what I also think is really interesting is that you were able to figure that out, like from age five, and then even even not only that, but the fact that two years after the situation happened, you were able to go back. I think one thing that got mentioned in a previous episode as well was was reflecting. And, and I think that's something a lot of us need to do, whether it's because of situations like you're talking about or other things in our life. I think a lot of us tend to forget um, to reflect. You know, we, we just sort of go on with life and, and just keep moving forward and keep tre- uh, trekking forward and, and not really reflect on the past. And I think there's a lot that we can learn. And that's a l- really the point of what I do with this podcast is trying to get people to learn from their past vulnerabilities, their past struggles, because I think there's a lesson in all of them that can help us with our, our journey moving forward. So, um, but yeah, that was interesting how you were able to sort of relate all those different situations. And I think that can help people that, you know, might be listening that are dealing with something similar or, you know, whatever it might be. So um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. And I absolutely agree with the reflection. Um, It's super important. And um, I I don't know that people forget to reflect as much as they um, just in society, there's no room for reflection anymore. Um, I think if people would really just stop and take a step back and and bring some discipline into their lives. And when I say discipline, discipline is for yourself. It's not what you do to your kids when they act out or that type of discipline. I'm not talking about punishing somebody else's discipline. I'm talking about having enough discipline to have some daily practices and routines in place to keep yourself in alignment with yourself. And I know that that sounds crazy. And at the same time, uh, it makes sense, right? No, for sure. <laughs> to, make, I mean, to make sure you're in alignment yeah. with yourself. Yeah, no, and sure. so having some sort of daily practice where you make room for reflection, we are constantly connected. We constantly have smartphones <laughs> and screens and tablets and laptops in our face. And we can't even get away from that in our vehicles anymore because now we have Bluetooth in all of our cars and yeah. you get in the car and the car automatically hooks up to your phone now. And we, it, it would benefit us, you know, it, w- it would benefit people on your commute to and from work for part of that commute, maybe not the whole thing, but for part of it, turn the darn radio off and drive in silence and see what comes up. I didn't consciously go in and two years later and think, I really need to pick apart this situation. It was one of those um, 
you know, I, I was having a hard time, like making a decision about where I wanted to eat. I was hangry. I was in that state of mind. And all of a sudden this, like I had this big, huge aha moment and aha moments are really, really important in the work I do because an aha moment is more than just a thought or an idea. An aha moment is combined with a felt sense in the body. So it's taking what I call the narrator, which is that da, 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 monkey mind voice that we're all over identified with in this society. And it's combining the monkey mind sometimes with the visionary, which is our mind's eye, our hopes, our dreams, our nightmares, what we see in our mind's eye. The, the visionary is a nonverbal aspect of who we all are, as is the experiencer. So those aha moments pull in the visionary the experiencer, the experiencer experiences life through the language of emotion and sensation, not words. So an aha moment, there's a felt sense to it. A lot of times there's a thought or an idea or an image in the mind's eye combined with that narrator voice going, oh my God, I finally figured this out. And then you hear the words in your head. So when you get all three into alignment and you have that um, sometimes uh, goosebumpy felt sense feeling in an aha moment, that's when things really start to shift. And I didn't consciously um, have this come up one day. It just happened in an aha moment. And that's how I figured it out. And I you know, started making notes on it and writing it down and picking it apart. And that was when I really started to reflect on it. So pay attention to those aha moments mm-hmm. and those little you know, those little moments when you can see the, the light bulb come on over top of your own head. <laughs> so, I mean, I got to like, what would you suggest for us to do this? And I mean, I've already got a couple of things in mind because for a few months um, at the end of 2019, I was, uh, I was doing this morning routine. I'd get up every morning. I would exercise for 20 minutes. I'd meditate for 10 minutes. I'd journal for 10 minutes and then I'd read for another 20 minutes. It's um, this thing that Robin Sharma, I don't know if you know of him, but he did this, he has this book called the 5am club and he calls it the victory hour. So for the first hour of your day, just do these things to get your day um, sort of primed, right? And and one of the things that I found huge for me and was that middle part, the meditation and the journaling, even though it was 10 minutes each, um, the amount of stuff that I was starting to sort of open up to and discover was was huge. And then even in terms of the aha moments, I don't know if it's because of that, because I haven't been doing it for the last little while and I know I need to get back to it just because uh, a, it's something that, you know, I think about and B, it's something that's continuously come up as well in conversations that I've been having, whether it's with friends, coaches or on the podcast where, you know, they're, they're like, is there anything that you can remember that you were doing? And I'm like, yeah, my routine. And, and I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> there's a sign. But and then even in terms of aha moments, like just recently, I had one where I was driving in my car and, and, and sort of had that light bulb moment where I was thinking about a sort of situation in my relationship and this sort of, you know, it was like, ding. And I was like, oh, man, like I've been sort of project. It was a, this whole thing of projecting. I was projecting a thought about myself onto my wife basically saying that she felt something about me and it wasn't, it was me that was feeling it. And instead of just admitting it to myself, I was basically saying it was her that was feeling it. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, not uh, to, to get too into it, but um, yeah, is there anything that you can sort of suggest? I don't know if those two things are, are something you would suggest or if there's other things, but I just think it's an interesting maybe tips to give the, the listeners that they can use to help them with that reflection and maybe have more of those aha moments. Um, so what I recommend, uh, when I work with clients, um, I I will tell my clients straight up, I will make suggestions. I can't create a formula that works for you Mm -hmm. because I fully recognize that what works for me and what works for you, um, might not mesh well. 
Mm-hmm. And so I highly encourage people to find something that works for them. Um, so writing and journaling is a really, really great avenue for a lot of people. Some people hate to write. And so if you have listeners out there that don't like to write, they don't like to pick up a pen, they don't like to journal, that might not be the right way. Um, it could be getting, um, oh, you know, like one of those handheld recorders and speaking into it and then going back and listening later. Um, you know, so there are lots of different avenues. Meditation works for some people. Other people can't stand it. So if Mm. you're one of those people who can't stand meditation, don't do like meditation where you're trying to sit down for 10, 20 minutes, you know, with your hands in your own position (laughs) and chanting. There are so many different ways to be mindful that are far beyond meditation. Um, you know, mindful walking is a way is another way. You know, if you like to walk, make time every day to take a walk, make time every day um, to do something. Um, And that's what I do is I help my clients figure out what is that routine, even if it's just five minutes a day. um, What is that little routine that you can put into place in your life so you can stay connected with yourself or so you can start to have these moments of self-awareness throughout the day. And um, i And there, you know, like I said, there are so many different approaches to mindfulness. Um, Journaling is something that I recommend. Um, And, you know, I I also realize it might not work for everyone. Um, Other ways um, are music. Music is another good way in. I've recommended to clients in the past where I've worked with them in creating playlists. Um, so what's a, what are your go-to songs like when you're really feeling sad that can help you pull up those emotions? And can you create like a sadness playlist or an anger playlist to help you process these emotions in a safe way so they're not affecting your um, words and behaviors? And, you know, so music is another way in um, movement, dance, exercise. Um, So there there are lots of different things that we can do. Yoga, a yoga practice. Um, Yoga practice is not necessary. Again, there are other ways to get movement and, you know, stretching and mindfulness in. Because, again, yoga works for a lot of people, not everybody. No, for sure. And it's it's just, I'm standing here just again, like, this is really good for me too, because, uh, and this is something I continuously say on my podcast as well, is that I'm learning just as much as any of my listeners. And so a couple of things that you brought up there that I've never even thought about, the voice notes thing was uh, was one, um, whether it's through a recorder, I mean, all our phones now have uh, these voice note apps as well that people could use. I've never even thought about doing that. I do like writing. So for me, I like actually picking up a pen and paper and, and writing things down. But that's one to definitely think about. The one that really hit me, though, was music, because I've never thought about doing that. And I love music. I mean, I don't know if you can see behind me here, but I've got a whole whack of vinyl. Yes. <laughs> you know, I love my music. And, but, and, I, and I have noticed in the past where, like, you know, the type of music I'll listen to will be sort of driven by how I'm feeling. Um, you know, uh, even whether it's at work, whether it's at home, wherever it might be, I'll notice that, you know, sometimes I want to listen to, you know, some soul music and some R&B. And sometimes it's a little more, if I'm in a more upset mood, it's something like a little softer. If I'm in an angry mood, it might be some, you know, classic rock or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's just something, again, it's just, I'm just uh, sort of processing as you're talking, because I'm thinking about things that I might need to do as well. And, and again, my love for music might be, uh, you know, I, I've even noticed over the last couple of years that 
sometimes when I sit down to read or write, I'll throw on classical music. I've never listened to classical music in my life, but I find that when I put on classical music doing some of these activities, my focus is like a thousand times better than it would be if I just sort of was listening to the sort of the white noise of the room or whatever's going on around me. So um, mm-hmm. again, I just, I'm just intrigued because I, I've never thought about using music in that way, but now, now I definitely am. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I do want to just emphasize yet again, that self-awareness is important with any daily routine, because if you're just going into your angry playlist with no self-awareness, that can reinforce unhealthy patterns of thought and behavior um, with a lack of self-awareness. So it's super important to have self-awareness yeah, when you no. go into a daily practice. And and again, as you say that, I just thought about like when I was at work one time and, and you know, I was listening to some, you know, 90s hip hop, like gangster rap and like my attitude got really like fired up and everything. And then I turned on Bob Marley and all of a sudden I was like happy and mellow. Yep. <laughs> so, and because I wasn't being self-aware, I was just like, you know, I was just getting all angry. And, and I and then I made the correlation afterwards. I was like, oh, that was weird. Like listening to one type of music, I'm in this mood and listening to another type, I'm in this mood. Uh, yeah. But now that you're bringing it up, it's probably just because I wasn't being self-aware. I was just sort of putting on music and thinking whatever about it and then realizing afterwards, like I said, that, oh, wait, that might have been driving sort of my attitude. So again, you're, yeah. you're making me think about a lot on my own, <laughs> in my yeah. own situation here. So um, Yeah. And one thing that's super important in the work that I do with clients is developing a language for sensation and emotion. Um, most of my clients don't know the difference between a perception and a feeling. Um, they'll, they'll come in and they'll tell me that they're feeling abandoned. They're feeling betrayed. They're feeling um, rejected. None of those are feelings. Those are perceptions. Those are interpretations. That's the meaning you give to a, a situation or as Brene Brown calls it, the story you tell yourself. So how do you get beyond that perception to tap into the actual emotion or sensation that you're interpreting as abandonment or betrayal or rejection or whatever it is. Um, And that's another skill that's important um, because again, if we're validating the story somebody tells themselves without examining the reality of that story, Mm -hmm. you're you're just going to, you know, help people uh, swirl around in that, um, you know, what's called the trauma vortex. Yeah, no, it's, it, it makes me think what you're talking about right now makes me think about a book that I read um, that last year was uh, The Untethered Soul. Oh um, yes, yes. Yeah, and, and I just heard it several years ago. Yeah, yeah I got a, I heard it on a get brought mm-hmm. up on a podcast that I think I was listening to yesterday, and 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 now all of this is sort of coming back, and I'm like maybe mm-hmm. I should go pick that up again because I remember reading it, and you know at first it's a little bit hard to get into, but then once you start to get further into the book and you start to mm-hmm. think more about what he's trying to say, you're like. You know what this is a lot of this is true and I'm doing a lot of this and my favorite I think one of my favorite parts of that book was when you talked about how if the person that's going uh talking to you in your head was sitting next to you mm-hmm. you'd think they were crazy yes, <laughs> I was right. just like he's right yes. <laughs> yeah if if people could hear our thoughts oh my gosh I think we'd all be institutionalized <laughs> so so I, I mean, I think we could already pretty much take away from everything you said here, like to figure out how it helped you get to where you are now. But if you could sort of give us a, 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 a I guess, a clear, defined, I guess, idea of how like everything that's happened through your past and, and everything that sort of you've learned to get to where you're at now, like how did it all help you get there? Because I mean, I don't know a ton of people that would have been able to go through 
what you went through and then become a person who wants to help people get through the same thing. So how would you say it all sort of culminated to get to where you are now? Um, I think it all really, really started to come together when I got just fed up over my head with mainstream approaches um, because I was floundering when I was going to cognitive behavioral therapy. And I started going outside of mainstream and, and eventually I started working with shamans and really taking the woo-woo approach. And it was when I started working with, with shamans who were um, traditionally trained, you know, from Peru that I started to get better. And I had a few realizations around that. Um, first of all, there was no power differential in the treatment room. Um, it, I came to the awareness that I came out of childhood with issues with authority. And, you know, like I said, I lied to my therapist over the years thinking I could pass therapy. So I wanted to be the good girl. I didn't want him to see what I was really experiencing inside myself. It was just another authority figure that I had to please as a stepping stone to get where I wanted to be in life. And that's not how life works. <laughs> and so when, um, so, you know, there is this element if we have issues with authority in childhood and you're sitting in the treatment room and you have somebody with a, a, a you know, doctorate degree or a postdoctorate, you know, training, whatever, then there's this huge power differential and you feel like you're looking up to somebody and somebody you have to try to please or somebody who has to, you know, approve of you or something about you. And again, it's a distorted way of thinking that a lot of, um, survivors of childhood abuse um, encounter in adulthood. And the shamans took that out of the equation because it was peer-to-peer -peer support. And also they started taking approaches that felt less threatening to me. And those, those approaches that felt less threatening, um, you know, again, they felt a little bit woo-woo and a little bit, I don't really know what's <laughs> going on here. Um, and that led me to the study of epigenetics. And I've realized that the study of epigenetics is putting some scientific backing and scientific explanation to what I'm seeing in the work that I've done in the past with shamans. Um, you know, because they very do, they very much do speak in the language of epigenetics and how traits are passed down beyond the the realm of our genetic code. Hmm. And um, it, and so that that's been fascinating for me. Um, so yeah, it was really a huge turning point when I started working with non-conventional um, shamans and non-conventional practitioners. And I do have to say that, you know, in the spiritual community that there's a lot of BS out there. There are a lot of people out there who are pushing this positivity movement and think positively all the time. And that can be a way to, you know, spiritually bypass and hijack your own growth and your own healing. Um, because those parts of us that come up that are fearful and grieving and angry, they're, they're there for a reason. And whenever we're denying those parts or just saying, oh, I can't be angry, I have to think positively, or I can't be scared, I have to think positively, we're doing, a lot of times, we're doing exactly to ourselves what our parents did to us when we were kids. Like, go away. I don't have time for you. Get out of the room. I'm going to neglect this part of myself. I have an aversion to this part of myself. So whenever we are positively hijacking ourselves out of a situation rather than getting curious and wondering why is anger coming up in this situation? Um, 
that's something to explore when we're like, oh, what's this about? What's the anger about? Or what's the fear about? Mm-hmm. I get, you know, when I have these uncomfortable emotions, I can't even stand the term negative emotions. There's no such thing as a negative emotion. I'm sorry. I'm just going to call bullshit on that across the board. <laughs> it's all information. And the information is about how you're interacting with your environment in the current situation that you are in in the moment. And so if you're constantly like pushing down and, you know, trying to avoid these uncomfortable emotions, um, you're just going to continue floundering in your patterns of, of um, adaptive patterns and compensatory patterns of behavior. You're going to reinforce them. So if you really want to make a change, you've got to start to come face to face with some of these um, difficult emotions and start to look at the experience from different perspectives. And um, I'm I recently certified in Dr. Gabor Mate's program. Um, his program's called Compassionate Inquiry. And last year, for the first time, he turned it into a year-long certification program. And I was in the first class to go through it and get certified. And man, is it has it changed my practice. He is masterful at helping people get beyond the story they tell themselves to explore the actual events um, and the sensations and emotions tied to it. And it's, it's completely transformed how I work with people. Um, no, and, you know, I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with the whole woo-woo and everything like that, because I will uh-huh. fully admit that up until maybe four or five months ago, everything that you're talking to me about right now, I'd probably mm-hmm. just be sort of spaced out and be like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> because I didn't think about it, believe in it, or whatever, however you want to look at it either. Um, but over yeah. the last sort of, again, five, six months or so, between listening to different podcasts. Um, one main one was 10% Happier with Dan Harris, um, who, where he has all these different guests from different sort of spiritual backgrounds, different types of meditation, all these different things. It started to just make me understand it a lot more. And, and also the fact that like, there's a lot more science, like you said, going behind it too now. Um, whereas before it was all just, again, it was speculation or whatever people said, but now they're, you know, they're doing brain scans and everything like that. And even just some of the books that I read, I read a book um, last year called The Buddha's Brain, which when I picked it up, I was like, well, this is going to be a book about Buddhism. And then I opened it up and I started reading it and I realized, no, it's basically just talking about neuroscience in a simple way that all of us can understand. And what blew my mind is like, and what you're talking about is like how much control our mind really has over everything else. Like, you know, when we're highly stressed, it can affect, you know, things in our stomach, you know, mm-hmm. which you, to me, most people wouldn't relate to. They might think that if there's a problem with their stomach, it's because of something they're eating, but it could actually be something that's going on up there. Or, you know, yes. I read another book, uh, The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama, and it was talking about how having too many negative thoughts or too many thoughts of, I think he called them unwholesome thoughts. So it was like, anger, negativity, these, these thoughts that definitely you don't want to have too many of can actually cause problems uh, with your heart. And I yes. was just, again, mind blown. And, and these mm-hmm. are, again, all things that I never would have thought about, never would have considered at, yeah. at a different point in my life. But now I'm, I'm open, more open to them. So I'm definitely open to hearing everything that you have to say and, <laughs> and definitely exploring more because I've seen improvements in my own life over the last few months. And that's only been in a few months, let alone what might happen over the next few years if I sort of continue to sort of dig into that. So I'm, I'm open to it. And I hope that my guests are too, because I think that we all need to sort of just be more open in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I've opened up over the last few years, it's done a lot for me. It's provided a ton of growth. It's made me sort of see things in myself that I never looked at before. And, and yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm open to, uh, 
it's pretty much anything at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, open-mindedness um, leads to what we call response flexibility, which means you have the flexibility to respond in different ways and choose your response to a particular situation. When people lose the response flexibility and their behavior becomes predictable. So for example, oh my gosh, if I'm 10 minutes late, dad's going to get mad. He's going to go off. It doesn't matter that, you know, like we had a flat tire or it doesn't matter that, you know, the, there was a wreck up ahead and we've been caught in traffic for the last hour you know, I'm going to be 10 minutes late. So if there's no response flexibility and somebody's super predictable, um, that's evidence that they have um, trauma patterns of behavior um, because the less flexible you are and the more reactive you are, uh, that that's evidence that you have some unhealthy, highly likely traumatized, um, not necessarily trauma, but for most people, it is related to some sort of past trauma. You've got a pattern of behavior related to that if you're not flexible in your response and you're not able to have an open mind enough to look at different different ways to respond to given situations. Hmm. Again, interesting. This, I, I won't, I, you know, I, I, I hate to say like what podcasts are my favorite because I don't want to be biased, but this is one that I'm definitely really getting, getting into and really liking because, uh, you know, I'll be completely honest. I didn't know what to expect and I never really do with any of these because you don't know how much people are going to share, how much they're going to open up. But again, yeah. this is giving me a lot to think about. And, and I always like that because I, I, like I said, I like learning just as much as I hope my, my listeners are. Mm-hmm. So would you say at this point in your life with everything that you've got going on with, with, with what you're doing to help others and everything, would you say that you found success and fulfillment in your life at this point? Or would you say that you're still trying to find that you're still on your journey towards it? Success and fulfillment, I'm going to say yes, according to society's definition, they <laughs> might not agree with me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'll explain why. Uh, because some of my core values, um, and, and these are my unique core values, I'm not saying that I, anybody else shares them with me, um, include autonomy and personal freedom um, and, uh, you know, having some peace and tranquility in my life. And I've definitely created that for myself. I've spent a lot of time in my life creating my own career and work around my lifestyle and not vice versa. And it's not been an easy path. And, um, you know, I, I get people that, you know, meet me or come into my life all the time. And they're like, well, it must be nice to have your lifestyle. I'm like, well, I've, you know, kind of busted my ass for the last 15 years creating this for myself too. And um, so I do have some space. I do have some room to travel and, you know, take classes and do things in my life that I want to do for myself. Now, if I were to take on society's definition of success, um, I would still be in that really painful place of anxiety and overwhelm going, oh my God, I'm not successful. I'm not successful because I don't have, um, I don't have the level of income that society values. Um, I have an income that I value and that I'm completely happy with, but it doesn't give me the Lamborghini. It doesn't give me the mansion (laughs) in Miami. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, doesn't give me that type of lifestyle. So I'm not, I don't have like the Gary Vee type lifestyle, you know, where I'm going to live in some big mansion and have a billion dollars and I'm okay with that. So, um, so again, that gets into some sticky ground. Like how do you define success? I'm, I'm 
I personally, uh, one of the first things I do with clients is help them, you know, whittle down their core values and really come to an understanding of what are your core values versus what are your parents' core values and what is society's core values or what's your local community, which might be different than the state, which might be different than the rest of the nation. And whose values are you taking and whose values are feeding into your anxiety in that, in the situation that you are in or who, who are you not living up to in your anxiety right now? No. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Well, <laughs> who says? Yeah. You know, so, you know, again, according to myself, I'm, I'm pretty content with where my life is right now. <laughs> no, and I, and I think that it's, it's important. And I agree with you. I think it's important that we all sort of define it ourselves. And, and I, I'm with you on the whole, like success doesn't mean the size of your house, the type of car that you have. I was that person, you know, <clears throat> sorry for me, you know, success for a long time was the position that I held, the title that I had, the amount of money that I made every year. Um, and that was the thing that I was constantly chasing. And I was a miserable human being. <laughs> and that was right? what I was chasing <laughs> right. as success. And now, you know, yeah. for me, success, for example, for with this podcast, success for me with this podcast is impacting one listener per episode. That's yeah. success for me. It's not making mm -hmm. money off of it. It's not whatever. So I've defined mm -hmm. these words differently too. So for me, however you want to define it, that's completely fine with me. And I think it's important that we all have our own definitions. And, and if you, where you're at right now, you find your, you have success and fulfillment. I think that's amazing. And I think that, again, we should all be better at doing that rather than paying attention to what society says it is, because I think you can, you can run into some pretty bad places or get into some pretty bad places. If you're just constantly comparing yourself to society. I mean, the, the, the saying that I've probably said a few times throughout this, the different episodes, and I don't know who it comes from, but comparison is the thief of all joy. And, mm -hmm. and I think, unfortunately, it's very easy to do nowadays because of what we see. And, and I've got stuck in it too. I'm not going to say I'm perfect and that I don't do it, but I think that we just need to get better at, you know, defining these things for ourselves. And like you said, even coming up with a list of our, our values and everything. So couldn't agree yeah. with what you said there more. Exactly. And, and you're exactly right. Comparison is the thief of all joy because when we start to compare ourselves to other people, it does create suffering inside of ourselves. And with the, the world that we live in now, which is highly connected via social media, mm -hmm. um, so many different social media platforms nowadays, um, what we're falling into is we're not just comparing ourselves with, you know, the people in our community or, you know, the, you know, the star of the football team in the yeah. high school or whatever. We're not, we're comparing ourselves to influencers from around the world. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I know I mentioned Gary Vee. I think he has some great ideas and I think his great ideas work well for him. And you look at all of these big name influencers that have these platforms on social media and they're talking about how much money they make. Well, we've got this mass comparison of who am I compared to these influencers. Mm -hmm. And the reality is like what they say, like, I don't know, I haven't gone and looked up all the different influencers because there are way <laughs> too many, but yeah. you know, there, there are people out there where I've gotten to know people, you know, like they have this social media platform and then sometimes I'll connect with them and I'll start talking to them and they're like, yeah, I don't really have many clients right now. And, you know, and so you start to see like how the sausage is made yeah. and you start to see that they're really not what they appear to be. Yeah. Um, and we're comparing ourselves to this. We're comparing ourselves to somebody, you know, that's found a formula that works for them halfway around the world in Australia. You've never met him. You've never said a word <laughs> to him. And you're comparing yourself to him and suffering inside yourself from somebody who doesn't even know you exist. Yeah. And again, it just goes to show how powerful the mind is and how we can create our own suffering, 
you know, through these comparisons. And so if, I hope somebody can hear this and like start to reel it in just a little bit and, you know, like take yeah. a step back and put a little bit of space between how you feel about yourself and what that influencer is saying on social media. No, for sure. One of, one of my past guests made a huge point um, that really opened my eyes on this subject too, which is the fact that we're all human at the end of the day. Whether you have a million followers or you have five followers, that person's still a human, you're still a human. And the fact that we sort of grand, like we make these people seem like they're bigger and better and higher and, and above us or whatever is again, just this thing that we're telling ourselves in our head, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily true. Cause at the end of the day, you know, we all breathe the same. We all bleed the same. Mm -hmm. We're all human. So I think that's something that we need to yeah. sort of take into consideration more often um, rather than, like you said, looking at them and going, wow, they have all these followers, like they must be special mm -hmm. or whatever. They've just, yeah, they figured something out, sure, or, or they've got a great message to share, but so might you. It's just that you haven't maybe opened yourself up to doing that. So, but yeah, I mean, we could probably continue down that road for a while. Um, yeah. So getting towards the end here, um, mm -hmm. one thing I like to do is, so, you know, if somebody were to listen back to this and, and sit down pen and paper and take notes, there's a ton of things that they could take away from this one. And I know that because there's a ton I'm taking away from it. But if you could give our listeners three key takeaways, three things that they could walk away from this episode with that they could then implement into their life to help, you know, them with whatever their journey is, what would you say those three key takeaways from your journey would be um, that you'd want to give to others? Uh, I think the first takeaway is start to learn self-awareness. Um, if you don't have any self-awareness at all, um, look for somebody who can help you develop self-awareness because there are a lot of people out there who can help you start to develop it. Um, and start, uh, the, the second thing would be um, come up with a daily practice that works for you that can help you with um, you know, your own discipline. And when I, again, when I talk about discipline, I'm talking about your ability to stick to something, not your ability to punish yourself. It's not about self-punishment or punishing anybody else. It's your ability to commit to something, commit to yourself and commit to your own personal growth. And, um, you know, and, and the third thing is, you know, would be to look at anything that you see in the world with an eye of skepticism um, until you have really connected with your own core values and started to ask yourself, you know, does this thing out in the world um, align with my core values? Does what this influencer is telling me to do align with who I am? Um, because if it doesn't align, you can do everything that the influencer tells you to do, and it's not going to work for you. You're going to fall flat on your face if it doesn't align with your core values. Because this experiencer that I referenced earlier, you know, the part of us that experiences life through emotion and sensation, that's our hidden control panel. And that hidden control panel will sabotage you every single time if you're not aligning with your own core values. Um, so those are the the top three things. <laughs> no, and and the last one I think where I would even maybe relate it to is even if in terms of looking for like coaches and stuff like that in life, because mm -hmm. I think you know yeah we're looking at influencers, but I think even in terms of like coaches, if your core values yeah. don't line up with the coach that you're hiring, that same sort of thing can happen. So I think you know just to really I think bring it down is just have those core values so that you can find more alignment. Period. Whether it's with coaches, influences, influencers, yeah. whoever, whatever it is that you're doing. I think having those core values is key. And again, something that I've heard over and over again. So I think it's something I need to sit down and start coming up with on yeah. my own. I've got a yeah. couple, I think at this point, but I think I need to sort of solidify them a bit more. 
Um, yeah, so, and influencers was just the example I was using. Yeah. Um, I would recommend even going beyond influencers and coaches. And, you know, once you start to get the hang of it and start to examine that with anybody in your life, yeah. including your friends and your coworkers and the people that you hang out with the most. No, it makes sense to me. So. <laughs> so the last thing here is not so much a question, but an opportunity to have my guests sort of promote themselves, whatever they're up to, anything that they've got coming up or, you know, where to find them on social. Because again, you've taken, you've given me the time to come on here and share your story. So I want to give you an opportunity to just tell everybody what you're up to. And, and yeah, like I said, just uh, sort of promote yourself. So go ahead. The floor is yours. Okay. Thank you. Um, well, you can find me at my website, which is jenniferwhitaker.com. Um, and for those who are listening, um, it's spelled J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-W-H-I-T-A-C-R-E. So it's jenniferwhitaker.com. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Jennifer Whitaker, which is my business Facebook page. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I also am on Twitter, even though I'm not very good about being on Twitter. I will go like sometimes two months and not even forget to check it. Um, I, I'm not the best at, at keeping up with social media. I got to be honest. Um, I enjoy my life too much to be on social media. <laughs> um, and probably Facebook, um, the Jennifer Whitaker page on Facebook is the best place. Um, you can also send me an email at info at jenniferwhitaker.com. And yeah, and I, I do work as, I, I don't call myself a coach. I choose the term strategist. Um, and the reason I choose the term strategist is because um, I follow my clients where they take me. Um, and I help them, you know, I let them open the door. I don't come in with an agenda. And a lot of coaches, not all, but, and this works for some people. It just personally didn't work for me. Um, I've tried to work with coaches who have like a protocol. And so yeah. this is what we do on the first time we meet. This is what we do the second time. This is what we do the third time. And of course I kick into, well, I don't really feel like I need appointment number two or three. I want to do like one, four, eight, nine. <laughs> and those, that's what I need help with. And there's like, no, you have to do it. And so I can't do the protocol. It's, I, I really sit down, I get to know my clients, I spend some time with them, and then we start to explore from there on, okay, what are the problems in your life? Because I, I'm not going to come in with an agenda and assume I know what your experience is. I want to help flesh that out with you. And then, then we can start to develop a plan from there. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes um, so that people can know where to find you. Um, I We sort of connected through LinkedIn through our mutual friends. So I'll put mm -hmm. LinkedIn up there. Uh, maybe I'll put Twitter, but if you're not there that often, I'll probably just leave it to LinkedIn and Facebook. But yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes so that people can find you. Um, again, you know, thank you for, for coming on. Thank you for, for sharing so openly and, and for just really all the insights that you provided. I, there's a lot of things in this episode that I, I, I know will help me and I think will help a lot of our listeners because uh, they're just things that I'm sure a lot of us, including myself, haven't thought about. So again, thank you for, for taking the time today. Thank you for having me, Brian. It's been an honor to be here. All right. Take care and uh, have mm -hmm. a great rest of your day. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. 
Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.